Medical practices vary in size and structure as much as restaurants and hotels. What's it like to practice in the Michelin five-star medical practice? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and doctor Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is David Donnersberger, MDJD. Dr. Donnersberger is a physician and attorney who has practiced internal medicine with a group of physician partners on Chicago's affluent North Shore for several years in a boutique medical practice. Dr. Donnersberger and I are talking about what it's like to have that kind of concierge medical practice. Dr. Donnersberger, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. So tell us how you became interested in concierge medicine in the first place. Bruce, I teach residents and medical students every day as a clinical instructor at the Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University. And I try to teach my students a humanism and ethical, emotionally warm relationship contact with patients. And in the typical American medical practice, which runs too much like a mill or a factory, I just could not see myself practicing what I preached. So when the opportunity came to join a small boutique practice, I leapt at it. And when you started your training as a physician, did you think this is where you would end up in medical practice? I really had no idea. I was never exposed to any medical practice other than a local fantastic pediatrician who came to my house and did house calls when I was a kid because he was my mom and dad's pediatrician. And the groups that I saw when I was in medical school and residency, I saw physicians laboring under quotas of production and having to see double booked patients in five minute increments where the nurse did most of the data collection and the physician just pulled a chart off of a door where a patient waited in a room. And I thought that was my future. When the opportunity presented itself, I just felt like I had won the lottery. You know, there's a lot of media attention about this kind of medical practice. Some of it good, some of it bad. How does this system work for you, and how do you make it profitable? Up until ideas of HMO and capitation became the norm in the United States in the 1970s, physicians practiced on a reimbursement model known as fee-for-service. That's basically what my partners and I do. We set our fee for how much a house call is, how much a hospital visit is, how much a new patient annual wellness visit is, and our patients know upfront in advance that those are our rates. We do not participate with or negotiate with any insurance companies. We're not part of any HMOs or plans. At the end of every month, our invoices go out to our patients, and our patients can submit those bills to their insurance company, get that paid 80% of usual and customary, or denied completely for being out of network. But the patient knows in advance they're paying for an increased, enhanced level of care, and it works wonderfully for us. We can spend 80 minutes with patients for their annual physicals, 20 minutes with no double booking for our patients. It's a wonderful model. You just have to find a patient population that is willing and able to make that kind of financial commitment. 
So when you went from a conventional practice to more of a concierge practice, were you able to keep the all the patients that you had, or did you have to thin down your practice to accommodate spending more time with people? The practice group that I joined had been operating in this fashion for over 30 years, and I joined right out of my chief residency, where prior I had been taking care exclusively of inpatients and indigent patient populations. We have never had to thin down our patient population as many doctors who decide to go the concierge way have had to because the practice that I joined was always operating in this fashion. Many doctors who decide to change their practice model to concierge practice send out a letter to their 4,000 patients saying, hey, I'm doing things in a different way. Pay me X amount of money a year. I know most of you won't be able to participate. I recommend these three physicians, and he or she winnows his practice down to just six or 700 patients or 300 patients. We've never had to do that. Among the four of us, we have many thousands of patients, and there's been, we accept new patients all the time. We've never had to, to thin anything down, which is really nice. A lot of patients come to us upset that they've received these letters from their prior physicians. We welcome them into our group. What's meant by a hybrid boutique practice? What's the hybrid part of that? That's exactly what what we have. We don't have huge annual retainers. We basically have a fee-for-service model. We say an office visit costs X, an annual wellness visit costs Y. You can submit that to your insurance, and you may be reimbursed or you may not be reimbursed. But we don't necessitate that you pay a large annual $5,000 retainer and that we accept only patients who are willing to pay our retainer. It's basically a fee-for-service model. And within our model, we probably have 20% of our patients who are retired cops and teachers and librarians who we just use normal billing practices and bill Medicare for because we want to keep our practice open to regular people and not just the super rich. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with physician and attorney David Donnersberger about boutique and concierge medical practices. So you mentioned this retainer. So in those practices, people pay up front, and does that go against their medical care as the year goes by, or is the charge when they come into the medical practice in addition to that fee? Well, it varies with every different practice model. Some practice models have very large annual retainers, and the first three or $4,000 worth of medical care is applied toward that. Other practice models, the retainer fee is just the fee to get into the door, and then the group bills insurance for everything over and above that. As I said, we don't really have the retainer fee model. We just ask our patients to have an hour and a half long annual wellness visit where we go through everything, cover all of the topics of screening and changes in medicine, changes in their family and work situation. That is a cost that is usually not covered by any insurance and is certainly not covered by Medicare. If a patient pays that and accepts that, then everything thereafter is either billed directly to Medicare or billed in our fee-for-service fashion to the patient and then subsequently to their insurer. 
So in your particular practice, there's four physicians. Do you take call in the practice since you make house calls at night? Is somebody assigned just as if you were in some practice within the hospital? Bruce, there are four of us, and from 7 o'clock on Monday morning until 5 p.m. on Friday, we each take call for our own group of patients. It's only on the weekends and holidays when one of the four is on call for the whole group. But because we work so closely together in one central location, we eat lunch together, we go to staff meetings together, we know each other's patients almost as well as we know our own. So if one of your partners was unable to get to somebody, you could go out in the night and make the house call, and it would be just as if you were treating your own patient. Absolutely. And on an average week, how many house calls do you or your partners make? We usually try to bunch them on our one day when we're not seeing a tremendous amount of patients in the office. And by a tremendous amount of patients in the office, we might see 12 to 14 patients in a day, which is a usual morning for most busy practices. That's a day for us. So on a Wednesday, when I don't see patients in the office, I'll probably do three or four house calls and a couple of nursing home visits. But You don't do a house call usually on a planned basis. It's someone has fallen, someone needs a ride to the emergency room, someone is homebound, and you just pop in on your way between hospitals or running between other outside activities. I've done house calls on Saturdays and Sundays when I'm rounding for my group at our three hospitals. I'll just stop in and make house calls on patients. And How do you guys work with specialists then? Is there any difference between your practice working with specialists you refer to as a regular medical practice? We have a small cadre of specialists in all fields, surgical and medical, psychiatric, pediatric, obstetrics and gynecology. And I think that the specialists know that we have a very hands-on, handcrafted, boutique relationship with our patients. So when we call a specialist, our phone calls get through. When we have our secretaries or pick up the phone ourselves and say, let's get this patient in and let's have her seen this week, things really do tend to happen sooner because our office breaks through the computer systems that answer telephones and the faceless receptionists as most doctors' office, and we can get back behind that front desk and talk to someone and get our patients in. So besides the things you've already told us, the house calls and the extra time, what are some of the other benefits to the patients of this model? Accessibility. It's all about accessibility. Our patients, the way our office is set up, can come in unannounced and say, hey, I fell down the stairs. Will you look at this black eye that I have? They can come in and get their labs drawn, all of their labs drawn, right at our office. We call our patients and go over lab results with our patients, good or bad. We're available at night. Your primary care physician is available at night after 5 o'clock if there's an emergency. It's really, Bruce, accessibility. I am your physician, and you can get a hold of me. You can get a hold of my nurse pretty much any time there's an emergency. And any time there isn't an emergency, just when you have questions about your health care. And what kind of drawbacks are there in this kind of a practice for the patients? Obviously, the cost is the biggest drawback. You have to have the financial resources to pay for your medical care regardless of what your insurance plan 
covers or doesn't cover. So for patients that have uh, health savings accounts where they're probably paying the first five or $6,000 out of their pocket anyways, is a concierge medical practice something they should be interested in because they're going to get better care and they're going to be spending the money anyways? It really is a good fit there if someone is healthy. If you're going to have a lot of ongoing medical care, that health savings account reserve can be consumed pretty quickly. There's a medical practice for everyone from the indigent to the affluent and everyone in between. I want to thank my guest, physician and attorney David Donnersberger, for talking to us about boutique and concierge medical practices. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. And thank you for listening.